time. Time is interesting. I don't know. We don't often stop and think that deeply about things unless you're, what was it, Marty? And you're thinking deeply about the space-time continuum. Anybody else remember that movie years ago? I remember that as a kid. Yep. But time, time keeps ticking away, doesn't it? You can't stop it. Uh, you can ignore time passing, maybe in your family or, or a season of life, but it doesn't stop passing. You look up and it's gone by. And then once time is gone, we can't get it back. You ever notice that? Now, as we talked about time, because this is where we're landing today in Ecclesiastes, I wanted to uh, just take a quick survey of some great philosophers' take on time in history. And so I looked up the best pop songs on time. And so I found one of the 2020s, and um, I thought about sharing that, but it was a Drake song, and I'm like, I don't think I can uh, share those lyrics in church. So we're, we'll, we'll skip the 2020s because I couldn't find anything else that was good. Um, but then the, the, the 2010s, the decades, this is sort of, you know, when I was growing up, we'd listen to the radio station, the best hits, 80s, 90s, and today, right? Now the music I listen to when I was a kid growing up, my kids are like, that's the oldies station. I'm like, thank you. You didn't need to tell me that. But 2010s, um, there was a song by a group called, the, called Imagine Dragons. And uh, anybody heard, heard of them? Yeah. Some of you grew up listening to them. It says, it's time to begin, isn't it? I get a little bit bigger, but then I'll admit I'm just the same as I was. That's an interesting thing about time, isn't it? That no matter how far you grow, sometimes you change, you end up making more money than you ever thought you would or not making as much as you thought you would or whatever the thing, but fundamentally you are who you are. You're hardwired to have a certain personality and hopefully, you know, there's things you work on and ho hopefully improve, but fundamentally you are who you are and you didn't cause who you were. You just, somebody else did, right? And time doesn't change that. Um, in the... Uh, 2000s, I'm, I'm betting there's some people in the room that will remember this group. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll give you a little hint. No? Coldplay? A little Coldplay, anybody? Okay. Clocks, famous song. He says, talks about confusion that never stops, closing walls and ticking clocks. Have you ever felt like Times, sometimes the times of our life often feel so random and confusing. I think that's something we can all identify with. Um, here's one of my favorite from the 90s. Do we have anybody that like the 90s song music out there? Yeah. You know you're getting old when you're like, remember the 90s, it was the best music. And it's like, you're old. Uh, whenever your music is the best music, you're old. So I just have to tell some of you in the room that. Um, so... You know, and this one, it's a great, I might actually try to sing this one for you. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Anybody remember that one? Time grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. It grabs you by the wrist and directs you where to go. Do you ever feel like that? See, I think we all have a desire to control time, but we can't, can we? And then I think we can all identify with this, the 80s, certain great female singer named Cher. Um, let's see if you remember this one. If I could turn back time. Yeah? Brought you right back to prom, some of you. Slow down. <laughs> but listen to it, I think, because I think we've all been here. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way, 
I'd take back those words that have hurt you and you'd stay. I think we've all been there where, where there's words that came out of our, our mouth that we wish we could go back in time and take back, haven't we? Where there were relationships that were damaged. But what do you know? Once it's done, it's done. You can't turn back time, can you? And then the 70s came along. I'm going backwards, I know. But after the 60s and, you know, like the, the philosophers of the 60s trying to figure out life and, you know, take enough mushrooms and have a special spiritual experience, which actually Ecclesiastes deals with. We talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Um, because the heart of, you know, what happened in the 60s, if you go back and study it, was actually like people searching for a deeper meaning beyond just this under the sun. And they thought, well, maybe if we can just sort of escape this consciousness. Um, so out of that, when that didn't work, you had the cars. And they wrote, let the good times roll, right? You know that one. Some of you, that, you're like, that was my song for decades. Uh, to probably move on beyond that song. So I'm just saying. But, but we all want good times, don't we? But here's the problem in life. Sometimes life gives us bad times. And when all you're looking for in meaning is the good times rolling when that's where you're trying to find your meaning in life, you're going to find disappointment every time. And this brings us to the 60s. And I bet, I want to show a hands. And I want to see if anybody recognizes this song, because I think a bunch of you do, okay? So here we go. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn. Very good. I can hear it, but you're a little shaky. And a time to every purpose under the heaven. And it ends a time for peace. I swear it's not too late. And like we just said about the 60s, I think they were talking about getting together, smoking it up, and trying to find some peace, love, and harmony. And they thought that was the answer. Now, how many of you recognize that song? Come on, show of hands. All right. The rest of you need to go listen to the oldies station because it's on there. And here, here's the thing. In case you didn't know it, for all of you, even if you just came in and you raised your hand and you've never even read the Bible, you have some of the Bible memorized by heart. And that's from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And just to bring you up to speed, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, um, in chapters 1 and 2, we, we observe Solomon's quest for the meaning of life, for purpose in life, under the sun. He uses this phrase to describe a life under the sun here on this planet, devoid of a bigger meaning, just what we can observe and experiment and have fun with, life under the sun. And so he goes out and sets out to pursue finding meaning and purpose and enjoyment and what's worth living a life for under the sun. And first he tries great learning and uh, higher education and every degree you can imagine up on the wall, smarter than he's the wisest guy that ever lived, walked this planet except Jesus. I mean, the guy is brilliant. We still are singing about his words thousands of years later. Um, and so he tries that, and he's like, that didn't do it for me. That didn't fill this missing thing within. And then he tries wine and partying, and they have the vats flowing. He's throwing raves for uh, 20,000 people every night for like a long period of time. I mean, imagine you, you thought you had a big 4th of July soiree, didn't you? And you're like, uh, check out all this uh, barbecue we've got over here. And he's like, barbecue, nothing. I had hundreds of cattle. That was one day, one party, vats of wine, 
the DJ, oons, oons. I mean, it was all going the whole time, right? He parties it up more than you will ever. And then that didn't do it for him. It was fun for a while, but it didn't do it for him. And then he tries art and sophistication and, and the finer things of life and drinking tea with his pinky elevated. And it didn't do it for him. He's like, I've been there, I've done that, I tried. It didn't fill the thing that was missing within. And what we said last week that I think is so important, if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. What we said is this, that, that the reason why it's so important to listen to Solomon's wisdom and advice about life is because he did more than you and I will ever accomplish. What he had the ability to do that you and I do not is to absolutely exhaust the end of himself, to, to run the treadmill out of track, to have more and do more things and experience it all. Did I mention he had a 700 wives and 300 concubines. He tried everything he, that he thought that, that a human heart would think, well, that will bring me pleasure and satisfaction and meaning. And he gets to the end of all of it and said, it didn't do it for me. It, it, I came up empty. But the reason it's so important to listen to him is you and I will probably never do that. We'll just continue to chase things because we'll just, we'll never be in the place like Solomon was of saying, I've done it all. For us, there's always a next step. For, for us, there's always a, if I just got that, if I just got that. And that's where Jesus comes along and says, hey, I have living water. I have living water, and that's the offer for you. And so at the end of chapter two, what we saw is Solomon gives us a ray of hope that hope and, and, and satisfaction, deeper meaning in life. Living life in the context of God is what ends up bringing meaning and purpose and actually allowing us to enjoy life. And I think if uh, after two very depressing chapters, if you're with us, it was finally like, whew, yes, please. I want some of that. So, Chapter three, now that I have it dialed in, in my head, in my heart, um, that, you know, I need this greater context. So I've got that context, purpose, meaning, eternity. Now that I have that dialed in, it'll all make sense and life will be smooth, right? Actually, Solomon is going to come along and he's going to say, wrong. See, if you stop at just the end of chapter 2, which would have been a great spot to stop, but you would have been tempted to think, well, I have purpose and meaning and a context in life, and so things are going to be okay. Pleasant. Comfortable. The problem with this thinking is two things. Number one, reality. Number two, the Bible. Go read it. The New Testament. See what happened to the apostles. Go read some church history. See how comfortable and easy life has been for followers of Jesus for a couple thousand years. And Solomon is going to come along in this chapter. He's going to say, hey, if you think this way in life, you will have an incorrect framework for thinking about God and thinking about your life. You will think that when times are good, God is good and in control. Amen, brother. God is good. He is in control. God is good. All the time. You guys know it. But you're only going to think that when life is good. 
when times are bad, you will end up questioning if God is good and if he is in control. Why? Why? One of the authors that wrote a book I'm reading in this series, his name's Tommy Nelson, he said this, if we want to deal with the world as it really is, we are going to have problems with God. See, you have a big problem in life without God, but we usually stop there. What, what Solomon's going to point out is you also have some problems with God, and you need to wrestle through those. Because if you don't, your faith will not be on a firm foundation. You won't have what it takes to get you through this life. And that brings us to chapter 3, some of the most well-known words ever written in history. And as I read this first section, some of you are humming it in your mind already. As I, as I read this, I want you to quit humming, okay, and actually listen to the words. Listen, yes, to the poetry because it's beautiful. But observe, what I want you to look for is observe times, seasons, times that we would categorize. If you just had to stop and pick, you would categorize as either good, good times, let the good times rule, or as bad times, times you don't really want anything to do with. And just tuck that away in your brain. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1. For everything, there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to Weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Sorry, Baptists. Um, <laughs> a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. This passage describes times of our life times of our life. You can think of it this way. It's like a multi-course meal. I know probably anybody ever gone to a fancy, like you've had a multi-course meal and they bring you out one thing and then they bring you out another thing and not like, you know, Sizzler or something where you went back multi-times to the buffet. I'm talking like a good one. Anybody? No, nope, this is Grand Junction. We're not that cultured. Okay, a couple of you. You've had one. I, I was in Japan a number of years ago on a missions trip, and, like, everything is so crazy expensive in Japan, except sushi. It was cheap. I know. It's, like, upside down. Here you go. You can't afford sushi. There it was cheap. And I remember we went to this one restaurant in, in Tokyo, and it was this cool, like, conveyor belt system that came around. And you had a table, and you just watched this whole, like, line of awesome sushi come by and whatever you wanted you just grabbed it stuck it down you would eat it and then they would count the number of plates and charge you at the end it was like 10 bucks all you could eat sushi it was amazing but i remember like you would get some you're like yeah not so much there was one called not natto so anybody know what that is 
I, I don't know, um, but it smelled to me somewhat like stinky gym socks, and it tasted about the same. Now, if you like it, more power to you. To me, that's what it, it, that's what it tasted like. And so there were all this, like, some of these really weird things. And, and so you tried some, you're like, I don't, that's nasty. And then some that was just amazing, right? And so life is like that, but different. Life is like all this stuff passing by, but then there's like a random robot sitting there just pushing onto your plate what you get to eat, right? And there's some stuff you, you know is coming. It comes in seasons or cycles, your kids' birthdays. You know that your anniversary, there's these things in life, even the, the bigger rhythms of life, you know, um, growing up and then moving out of the house and going to college, whatever the thing is. But half the time, it just feels very random, doesn't it? And life just throws something at you that you didn't see coming. And all of a sudden, you find yourself in a time that you didn't ask for, you didn't want, it tastes nasty, and you wish you could give it back, but you can't. Because that's life. That's time. That's reality. You don't get to choose the times and the seasons. Now, this passage, a time, um, I've read this at just about every funeral I've ever done. And you know what we like to do with it? We like to go, hmm, isn't that beautiful? Thank you, pastor. And everyone shudders for a moment and then tries to put the whole thing out of their mind and go about their lives. But here's the uncomfortable truth. When you stop to really think about it, the good times, the bad times, all of it, what we often do is, as long as things are good, we're okay. But as soon as one of those times comes that we didn't want, we didn't request, we didn't see coming, all of a sudden, the God who was good and in control in our heads is like, where are you? What are you doing? And so many times, those conversations lead us to a deeper and a darker place of, is God really even good? Does he really... Is he even there? And if he is, does he even care? How does, how does this make sense in my life? And the first thing you got to know as we go through this text, that if you want to like, go through life with a framework of reality, you have to wrestle with these things. The first thing is this. God is sovereign over all the times of our lives. In fact, here's how he describes himself in Isaiah. He says, to whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. I will accomplish all my purpose. God is sovereign. He isn't taken by surprise. In fact, we get this picture of him in Scripture as being outside of what constrains us, space-time reality. He's outside of it. He knows the end from the beginning. Nothing escapes him. Psalm 139 says this, and, and just because that's sort of on a big level, here's where it boils down to you and me. Notice the language. This is me language. Oh, Lord, you have searched and known me. Put yourself. You, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. <laughs> you want to see a great example of that is Jesus. 
God in the flesh. Every, every time, like the disciples would be thinking something, or the Pharisees over here muttering under their breath, and he'd turn around and answer their question. They were too scared to, to say aloud. I love it when Jesus does that. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. What did Jesus say? Your, your father knows what you need before you even ask. Before you even ask, he knows the prayer. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That's his philosophical way of saying, mind blown. I can't wrap my mind around you. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? You're everywhere I go. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. For, for you formed my inward parts. This is a wonderful scripture to read and remind us ourselves of on Sanctity of Life weekend. You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. God, you are made in the image of God, the image of God. You are profoundly valuable as a human. And he says, that didn't start. That started in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Listen up. In, in your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Do you recognize that? The psalmist reveals us to, about God. You've seen all the days ordained for me. The day of my birth. The day of my death. It's all in your time. It's all in your hands. It's out of my control. Did Most of... Oh, let me go out of limit and say all of you aren't here because of anything you determined ahead of time, right? No, that would have been God and maybe your parents, unless it was like, oops. <laughs> but even if it was oops, you weren't oops. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. Your days were ordained by God. Your parents might not have planned you, but God planned you. He saw you. He had a purpose for you. He goes on, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast the sum of them. Do you know you are on God's mind? He said, If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Now, this is beautiful. This is comforting, but also it gives us a problem. If you stop and think about it, all of my days were ordained. You say, see the day of my birth and, and the day of all of it, even in my mother's womb. See, this is life 
life, what's hard about this is like in the same day, literally today, I was calling one of my best friends, talking to him um, about how their family was doing because his little brother, younger than me, passed away a couple weeks ago. And then you walk in, and from a good friend, I hear, we're expecting our second child. I'm on cloud nine. Those are the times, aren't they? It's the reality of life. And we love that. The other one, we're like, I don't get it. A diagnosis, a phone call you got. I mean, I could go on listing it. You know, as a pastor with this many people in church, man, I, I just, we hear things over and over and over again. And great joy and great sorrow and pain. It's, it's what's happening in our church family. And it's hard to wrap your mind around sometimes. But it's reality. And see, when it comes to God's sovereignty over everything, sometimes it's uncomfortable. But you got to wrestle with it. He says, I, I knew it. What does that mean? That means from a human perspective, if someone dies young, we say they were way before their time. We've all said that. From an eternal perspective, Jesus said, not a sparrow falls without my father knowing about it. And aren't you more valuable than that? That's uncomfortable. I like to think about God, God, you know, um, of the good times and bless me, Lord. And the, that one prayer, that one dude, I can't remember his name, but I, I just remember expand my stuff, right? I think that's how it went. If you know, you know. He says, all of my days were ordained. See, this is what philosophers call the problem of evil in the world. And here's how the argument goes, because you've wrestled with this, I'm guessing, at some point in your life, whether you know you were wrestling with this or not. You have people that have stiff-armed gods for decades because of this problem, and you've had conversations with them, and that goes somewhere like something like this. If God is good, how can there be evil in the world? If God is a good God, if he's really an all-powerful good God, how can there be evil in the world? And, and some of you, you just haven't wrestled with it. It feels very philosophical and out there. Until it's your pain, all of a sudden it gets very real. I mean, very few people walk away from their faith because of a tsunami in, on the other side of the world. I mean, you care, hopefully, you pray, and maybe give. But very few people here walk away. It's, it's when it's here. It's when you have questions that you don't have the answer to and you don't see the way out of, where are you, God? And for so many, the cycle, and I, we talk about this, it goes from doubt, well, disillusionment with God. God, I expected you to show up in this way. Instead, my life went this way. I don't know how to deal with that. It goes from disillusionment to doubt to detachment. I've been disappointed, disillusioned, and now I'm wondering if you're even there. 
And you got to have a framework for this in your life of understanding, no, he is sovereign. That is the reality, because what are your other options? Well, one of them, there's four options for you, really. God isn't there. That because we see evil in the world, God isn't there. You know the problem with that, with that argument? Is you are using the existence of evil to say that a good God doesn't exist when it takes a good God to describe evil. You haven't thought about that. You haven't put two and two together. But if all there is is naturalism, and we're just random chance accidents, we have no framework for saying evil. It's just survival of the fittest. Hitler, he was just trying to get ahead. Somebody cuts you off, well, they were probably late. There's nothing wrong with that. You're like, no, it's so wrong. How can you say that? Maybe it was right for them. Maybe it was their truth. Hmm. And so we use a category, evil, that requires a God or something outside of our space, time, little finite, natural world to try to argue against him. It doesn't even make sense when you try to argue it down to the ground. I mean, really, the logic is if God doesn't exist, in fact, some very smart um, philosophers who were honest about this said we have no rational framework to call something evil. I mean, they, if you've listened to some of these guys, they, try, they argue at it from, like, the benefit to society, but who's to even say that's best, right? I mean, if we're destroying the planet, maybe the best thing for the planet would be if we just get out of here. Argument two. Go read some of these guys. So, number one, there's no God. Number two, the Eastern religions, Buddhism kind of thing. And this is like suffering isn't real. Just think positive. Or it's escape. If you can numb yourself or somehow get out of this, um, then you can detach. You can become enlightened. It isn't real. And this is how it comes across usually in church culture. Power of positive thinking. If you just have enough faith, you can make life go your way. Now, faith is a good thing actually a thing that moves the heart of God. But taken to the extreme, it means that your suffering is your fault because you, you didn't have enough faith. That's what it means. It, it, it's tied back to New Age Eastern mysticism, that kind of thinking. So that's the second thing. The third thing is God exists, but he has limited power. Sort of the yin-yang, the, the force. Sometimes the good is winning, sometimes the evil's winning. We used to love this show, Lost. Anybody remember Lost years ago? My wife and I obsessively watched it because it was filmed in Hawaii, and we love Hawaii. But there's Jacob and then the other guy, I don't remember, the, the dark one. And it was always like this power struggle, wasn't it? You see, many people have this idea between God and the devil. Sometimes the devil's on top, sometimes God's. Scripture tells us, no. What do you see in Job? And Job is a hard book. I, have, I struggle with Job. Because what does Satan have to do to go mess with Job? Get God's permission. See, what Scripture teaches is God is sovereign over all of life. Nothing takes him by surprise. Nothing takes him by surprise. And the fourth thing is that, the fourth thing is that God doesn't know everything. And this has become more popular in recent, that God somehow spun the whole thing up, but he doesn't know everything. Because like, have you read it? All the things I prophesied? I know. I'm not surprised. See, this gets hard, doesn't it? 
That's reality. That's life. And Solomon says, if you want to navigate the times of your life with your faith intact and your frame of reference intact, you've got you to address reality as reality is. So Ecclesiastes, he goes on, he says this, what gain, this is after all the times, the seasons, what gain has the worker from his toil? We've seen that over and over. What profit is there left afterwards? He says, I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. And listen to this, don't miss this. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Coffee cup verse. That's a good one. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Maybe still in the coffee cup, but stop the coffee cup here for sure. Don't print this next part. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. See, here's the, here's the framework, and this is just the truth. He says, all things will be beautiful in their time. But whose time? God's time. In his time. And for him, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. For him, he sits outside of space and time. For him, he's not operating on our schedule. Have you noticed that about God? He's always late. You're like, come on, will you show up? <laughs> I've seen him come through in the nick of time so many times. I'm like, you could come through like a few weeks early on that contract. That would have... This is me. This is my anxiety I'm sharing with you. That would have made my heart feel better as we were doing all this, buying the church. I'm like, come on, God. Could you just give me a couple weeks in advance? It's his time. And what does he ask you to do? Trust him. Trust him. Without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. And there's a certain element of following God that he says, guess what? Um, there's three things true here. Number one, I'm going to make everything beautiful in my time. I know you can't understand that. What you're going to have to do is trust me. And you may get some of the answers five years down the road. How many of you, five years later, uh, have some answers to a really hard situation you went to five years ago, and you're like, oh, that's why that happened that way. I've had some of those in my life. Some of you have too. Other times, you don't get that answer until the other side. It doesn't show up in this life. But you are to trust him. You are to trust him. It will be beautiful in his time. Tommy Nelson uh, says this. He says, every week I counsel Christians who are upset because they are not God. Think about that. <laughs> you are not God. See, there's this idea. He says, I put eternity in their hearts. What this means is you want to go try being the naturalist thing and living it up, party, eat, live, drink today for tomorrow we die. I didn't say that right. YOLO. Um, you want to live that way? Go try it for a while. What you're going to find is it's not going to fill that void. You're going to always be thirsty, and it's never going to do it for you. That's what the last couple chapters of Ecclesiastes. That was the conclusion last week. You're just going to go around the treadmill and thinking the next thing, the next thing. Solomon says, been there, done that, tried it. It didn't do it because you have a, a shape within your soul that God, only God is meant to fill. And what that means is, is ultimately, like 
the pleasure of naturalism will lose. Like when you, when, think about love, okay? Like if there is nothing but random atoms bouncing around and that's the whole of resistance, then what is love? How does it take love out of love when you realize, oh, this isn't real, it's just like chemicals in my brain bouncing back and forth? Honey, I love you with chemicals in my brain bouncing back and forth and little neurons firing. Wow, that's romantic, dear. All of a sudden, love becomes less pleasurable. Uh, there was this amazing quote I heard from Darwin, Charles Darwin, Origin of the Species, really the one who launched naturalism, the idea that everything could come into being without a God, into prominence. And here's what he, this was his autobiography. He is musing on why he lost his taste for higher art. See, Solomon goes through this too. Eh, I did it all. It was cool. It didn't do it for me. Darwin says this, musing, he says, up to the age of 30 or beyond it, poetry of many kinds gave me great pleasure. Even as a schoolboy, I took intense delight in Shakespeare. Formerly, pictures gave me considerable, and music, very great delight. But now, for many years, I cannot endure to read a line of poetry. I said, I've tried to read Shakespeare. I found it so intolerably dull that it nauseated me. I have almost lost my taste for pictures or music. It doesn't cause me the exquisite delight which it formerly did. And here's what I think is going on in here. I think when you take God out of the picture and come to the realization that all we are is random chance accidents, you lose the joy and the vibrance of life. Because all you have is now. There's no bigger framework. And so you got to live your life under the sovereignty of God, that even though it creates problems for us, doesn't it? He goes on. He says this. I have perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, drink, and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. So finally, he's getting a solution. So how do you live, like, in the midst of the times, the good, the bad, the back, the forth, the confusion, how chaotic it feels sometimes? How do, how do you live? How do you go through life? Well, number one, what did the last verse say? You recognize you're not God, and there's things you will never know. But do you think a God that created a, a universe so vast our minds can't even comprehend it? And he says it holds, holds it together. He holds it together. Do you think that he has a bigger picture than you do? And the answer is obviously yes. Yes. It doesn't make what you're going through easier. But hopefully it leads you to trust and go, okay. And then what do you do? Solomon says, well, you do good. You do good. See, the amazing thing about sovereignty, that this really blows your mind. It's not like you're a robot. God, God's sovereignty over the universe is such that he has given you a free will, and your choices really matter. If you pull out a gun and pull the trigger, a, like a flag in the cartoons isn't going to come out of that. There's consequences. There's consequences. to He allows evil to exist, although he says one day it will be judged. And yet you have free will. You have the ability to do good. 
to do things now that last forever. And so you're called to live your life. Man, love people. Be honest. I mean, you just read through the Bible. Read through the, read, read through the Bible, the New Testament, Jesus' words. Care for, live a generous life. Do something that some people are going to show up at your funeral. And I'll have something to talk about if I outlive you. Hopefully, you know, hopefully a bunch of you will outlive me. Live your life in a way that matters. Pray for other people. Share Jesus with other people. Like, go for it. Prayer matters. Why does prayer matter? Have you ever thought about that? Well, God is sovereign. Why do I pray? Because he set it up that way, and he gives you the opportunity to participate. Guess what? You don't get to decide when he answers yes and when he answers no. I had this amazing conversation with a friend of mine, uh, Ron uh, Pollard, and uh, he was telling me this, this story. He's 70-some years old, and... Uh, some guy came into his office. He's had a really bad knee for years, and they prayed for him. He's like, well, can I pray for you? And the guy prays for him, and literally he heard a pop, 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 and felt stuff moving around, and his knee was healed. I mean, he was like running around. We believe God does that in response to prayer here now today. But you know what? My son had a surgery a while back, and boy, oh, boy, we prayed multiple times I brought some of the best prayers I knew in. We prayed. Because I don't think I'm always that great of a prayer, so I'm going to bring some other better ones in. And we got some good ones. And you know what? We called my, my daughter, because she stayed home with Grandma on the morning of the surgery. She had such great faith. And we're like, well, he's in surgery. She went, he got the surgery? And it broke my heart. Because she had such great faith. And yet, the truth is we don't get to be the ones who decide. What are we called to do? Do good. Like Paul says, as long as you have the opportunity, do good to people. Make it right with people. Live your life in such a way that you are building something where the consequences go on for eternity and don't just end here and now. Be generous. Live your life for his kingdom. You do good, and then you enjoy life. Like, actually take the time to pause and enjoy your life. You have to understand the time you're in. If you want to live well, you have to understand the time you're in. That's the other thing about seasons. Some of you are in a hard season, and it is a time to mourn. Or you have those in your life, and you need to, what does Jesus say? Laugh with those who laugh, mourn with those who mourn. You need to be there for them. You need to feel it and actually allow yourself to feel the weight of it. It's okay. It's okay to ask God the hard questions. Just like the psalmist does, always come back around to God. I don't know, but I trust you. God, I'm really angry about this. I don't understand how you could do that. That's, that's okay. Just honor him, but you're still God. Ask the hard questions. Live life. Some of you, it means recognizing that you're in a season where you need to focus on something very specific. Let me just talk to the parents for a second. Some of you, you have small kids. Some of your kids are approaching teen years. This is the time that you're in right now. It will, it will pass in what seems like a blink. I know you can't believe that if you've got little kids in the house. <laughs> but it will. And you will look up, and that time will be gone, and you will not be able to get it back. Are you living intentionally into that? 
Some of you, you need some tools. You need to sign up for our parenting class. You need to come Friday to the movie night because here's what we do, and I'm as guilty as many of you. We just roll on, and every, as long as everything's good, we don't think we need any help. We're doing just fine. And then somebody goes off the rails, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, now I need help. You could have, you could have done something on the leading side of that. Understand what time it is in your life. Some of you, you're in a relationship, a dating relationship, that you know it's time to let go. It's time to move past that. It's time to let him go or let her go because she's not leading you towards Jesus. Some of you, you're in a business relationship where you just need to walk away. There's a time to embrace. There's a time to refrain from embracing. Some of you, you just got to let a situation go and move on. You got to let go of bitterness and move on. There's a time. Know what time you're in and the thing that God's calling you to do in this moment. And give yourself permission to really, really enjoy life. To actually pause for a second. Some of you are so in the future, you never live today. I mean, I struggle with this. You're always, what's next? What's next? What's coming? And you don't pause to be present with your family. Say, go get a really good cappuccino. And just sit for an hour and enjoy it. Cook that steak. If you ever come over, I might cook one for you. I do a pretty good job. Can't lie. And enjoy it. Enjoy your family. It's what God's given you. Enjoy it. And as we close, we've got... Two verses. I'm going to invite Winston up. She's going to play a little as we close. Because here's the last thing I want you to, to take away. Take this moment to respond to God. So you need to understand and live your life in the framework of God's sovereignty. You need to know what time it is in your life. And then take this moment to respond to God. He says this, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken. His plan in the end will succeed. And he tells you, read the end of the story. If you have your Bible, go read the last two chapters. It's amazing. Beyond anything you can understand, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what he has in store for those who love him. God has done it so that people fear before him. That there is a, there is a proper fear, reverence, awe of God and of the vastness of who he is and of the understanding that you are not God. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. But listen, and God seeks that which has been driven away. Here's what I believe. Because Ecclesiastes writes this, looking forward to Jesus, and then Jesus comes. And he tells this amazing parable about a father whose son walks away, spits in his face, takes the inheritance, and goes and blows it on prostitutes. And the heart of that father is to seek what has been driven away. To bring back into relationship. And here's what I know. No matter where you're at, times are good, times are hard. You're asking, God, where are you? 
He wants relationship with you. He is inviting you. He is seeking you. He's given us a little bit of time to connect with others and a little bit of time to connect with him. Are you seeking him? Are you accepting the gift of life? Are you drawing near? You know, if in the room, joining us online, there's someone that you just feel the tug of God on your heart, I just want to invite you. Why don't you pray a prayer like this after me? It's not the words. It's the intent of your heart. Lord Jesus, I want relationship with you. I know you're drawing me, and so I want to say yes to you. I accept your love, your forgiveness for the sin in my life. I want to turn from that and follow you. Would you welcome me into your family? And Lord, for all the other friends that have situations they're facing right now that feel so very heavy, Would you remind us that even though we don't understand why, we can trust that you are good, that you are in control. May you give us the grace to take those situations and place them at your feet. We love you, Lord. We worship you. We pray these things in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen.